Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. First, I, I want to um, just say that I, I really am happy to, to be here, not just for myself being here, but to support what you do. Uh, Spirit Rock really values your work and wants to support you as much as possible in bringing consciousness to the legal world. And uh, for me personally, I have been um, meeting with lawyers and doing daylongs for lawyers for for many years. Uh, My dear friend who's... uh, since passed away, Manny Furtado uh, was a really inspiring man. Maybe some of you who are old enough know him. And uh, he just, he, oh, it was probably about 10 or 12 years ago, he said, you know, we just really need to bring mindfulness to, um, to this profession, which is based on fairness and justice. And uh, it's so easy to get lost in, in the cultural pressures and uh, so been doing day longs for lawyers for about 10 or 12 years now and it's been great the last year and a half being able to uh, help support a a community a conscious community in doing these retreats with uh, Charlie and Norman and the contemplative mind group Um, so in a way I think of it as your ambassadors for consciousness to the the legal world and uh, coming together and being part of a community where you can support each other I I think is really quite important. I want to talk this morning um, on the basic principles of mindfulness and how mindfulness works so that it can be a, a kind of foundation, as I said, for the work that you're going to be doing these next few days. <clears throat> it's very, very simple. Everything that we do at Spirit Rock and that the Buddha taught, very simple. Just be here now, as the book said. Just be present for your life. It's so challenging to do because we are not wired up that way, at least with all of our habits and and pressures, to be here, be present for life. We're lost in thought, we're lost in past or future or our fears and, and worries and anticipations and pressures and Somewhere in there, every now and then, we come into connection with ourselves. So it takes practice, which is a word that you hear a lot around Spirit Rock or any meditation center. I wanted to go over some basic principles of mindfulness and um, see how they relate to your life. The word mindfulness or sati um, is it's the foundation of all of Buddhist meditation, the, the discourse that 
the uh, the Buddha gave called the Satipatthana Sutta is the uh, really the source of all Buddhist meditation. Mindfulness, another word for it is consciousness or awareness. They're often used synonymously. And uh, a phrase that I find helpful to think of mindfulness is bare attention, just seeing what is so. I'll mention four different aspects of this bare attention or mindfulness. The first is to see things clearly, to see things as they are. That is the, the definition of vipassana. The word vipassana is used around here. I don't know if it's been introduced as yet. Maybe it's new to some of you. V-I-P-A-S-S-A-N-A, vipassana. And it simply means to see things clearly. Now, one can say, well, we all have our own vantage point, our own subjective reality, so how clear can we be? If you have that thought coming to your mind, very good. It is true. We do have our own subjective reality. However, seeing things clearly is not so much seeing our story of how we think things should be, but even seeing that there is a story that we have. That's a very major shift of perspective. Seeing things clearly means, as best as you can, given the situation, not coloring it with our editorial comments about what we like, what we don't like, how uh, intense it is, how less intense, but just to accurately say what is so, as best you can. This is not often something we're in touch with. You know, when you, when you learn uh, a language, a foreign language, you learn Spanish. I learned Spanish in school. And after they said, como se llama, what is your name? The next thing is, como esta usted, how are you? And the answer is, what? Muy bien, gracias, thank you. Very well, thank you. I've never seen a textbook that said, I'm having a lousy day. <laughs> We're conditioned to say, oh, very fine, I'm fine, very well. Well, this is radical. This is calling it just like it is, being honest with your experience and saying what's true for you. You don't have to make it more than it is or pretend it's less than it is. I was uh, was raised in New York City where people live in superlatives. This is the most intense day of my life. Uh, even more than yesterday. Right? That was the most boring talk I've ever heard. You know? Fantastic. What a great movie. That, you, this is the best movie. You ever, you ever hear somebody say, this is the best movie, and you go, and it's like, it's pretty good, but it's not the best. and It doesn't, doesn't quite measure up. Well, when we live in that intensity of superlatives, and you don't have to be 
from New York to live in that mode, it's like you're trying to squeeze a little bit more out of reality, but actually it diminishes your experience. And when you hear somebody who talks that way, you kind of take what they say with a grain of salt. This is to accurately describe your experience. As you sit here, oh, this is kind of boring. Okay. Not, I'm going to die if I have to stay here for another moment, but it's kind of boring. You know. Oh, this is calm, wonderful. Not, I'm about to become enlightened. Maybe you are, who knows, but if not, it's okay. Or, there's an itch here. Oh, okay, itching. Or, gee, my, arm, my, uh, my shoulder is feeling some discomfort. Not necessarily it's going to fall off if this goes on for another few moments. Just calling it like it is. And there's a great relief and connection in simply seeing things as they are. You know when somebody is that authentic that they just say what's so. You really want to hear what they have to say. Well, this is it starts with being authentic with yourself. So that's the first principle. As you're sitting here, no matter what is happening, it's simply what's happening. No need to apologize, no need to dramatize. It's just like this. One of, one of my teachers, Ajahn Sumedho, who's a very um, uh, down-to-earth and deeply wise uh, meditation teacher, uh, a monk uh, in, who lives in England, his basic, one of his main teachings is, oh, it's like this. And he has this little hand gesture that says, oh, it's like this. Like, oh, this is a tough day. Oh, it's like this. This is a fabulous day. Oh, it's like this. And it's just okay, however it is. That's just the way it is. Then you can start to deal wisely with the situation instead of getting spun out in making it more or less than it is or getting caught up in your stories about what you need to do to fix it. Oh, you first see how it is. So that's the first principle of mindfulness practice, to be with things just as they are, or to see them clearly. Second principle, as you're coming into what's happening, the idea is to more and more be here in the present moment. It's the only way you can actually connect with what's happening. Everything else is either the past or your imaginings. This is the place that life is happening in the present moment. And it's not where we spend a whole lot of time. Even as we speak, your mind might be drifting, going back to, oh, what, what did I leave at home? Or I wonder what this retreat is going to be like, and will I meet some really good colleagues? Or will I be a good meditator? Or, yeah, last night was pretty cool meeting everybody. Uh, and maybe every now and then it's, oh, what's this guy saying? Okay. Yeah. 
Because that's how the mind works. We kind of drift in and out of the present moment. This is learning to more and more become familiar with the present moment because this is where life is happening. This is where there is genuine connection. This is where there is appreciation for all the, the goodness and the beauty in life. And to um, feel nourished and um, open up to the blessings. This is where we can truly connect with the challenges in life rather than our stories about the challenges. So learning to be here in the present moment is the key to the whole process. Your mind, as I mentioned before, will wander a lot. No big deal. You don't have to take it personally. Just come on back and see, oh, what's happening right now? If I were to sum up, and I do this in my own mind, the whole of all the instructions that you might hear in Spirit Rock or in in other traditions in the Zen (laughs) Center or Tibetan centers, it's basically what's happening now right now. Any ideas of becoming enlightened or wherever you are when you become enlightened, I can guarantee you one thing, it will be in the now. It's the only place there is. So this is a principle to come into more and more, just returning when you see you've drifted off and come on back, oh, what's happening now? third aspect of mindfulness, of this bare attention, as you start to bring yourself or attempt to bring yourself into the present moment, something becomes increasingly clear. And that is that the present moment is constantly changing. This might not be news to you, but when you live your life from this reality, it's very, very different than having a conceptual idea. To know that everything changes dramatically shifts your relationship to experience. The Buddha said, if there's one contemplation to keep in mind, it's the ongoing reflection on impermanence. Because if you understand it, not just in your head, but in your gut, and in your heart, that everything changes, then every moment is worthwhile because it's never been here before and will never be here again. And if life is offering something sweet, and delicious, realizing that it's going to change gives you some motivation to be here for it. Ah, let's be here for this. Ah, beautiful. How sweet this moment is. That's not necessarily leading to, or it it doesn't have to lead to, shouldn't lead to, Oh my goodness, how can I keep it here? 
because it's going to change. How can I hold on to it? As soon as you try to hold on to changing experience, you are in trouble. Because when you truly see that things change, that holding on is the source of pain, as, as my, my teacher Joseph calls it. Holding on to changing experience is like rope burn. You ever dangle for a rope when you were in high school and then <laughs> Well, because it's changing, you're just caught giving yourself a lot of pain to hold on to that which is changing. And so when things are really sweet and delicious, to be here fully for them and connect, savor, take in their blessing, and then let go, know that it's not going to last. The other side of the coin is knowing that everything changes when you're in the middle of a very challenging or difficult time, whether it's in your personal life or in reflecting on current situations in the world or wherever you happen to find yourself, if you truly understand the law of impermanence, anicca it's called in, in, uh, in Pali, anicca, if you truly understand that everything changes, there is more of a willingness to open up to what's here and see the wisest possible response instead of the contracted, frightened attitude that thinks, uh-oh, now we're really stuck for good. Nothing is forever. And the pendulum always swings. There's never been a time that the pendulum just stayed on one side. Everything changes. And so there is more of a willingness to open up to experience and to learn from it and to see how you can wisely meet the moment instead of reacting out of fear or confusion. <coughs> Excuse me. So wherever you happen to be in the meditation, if it's a pleasant moment, mm, let yourself enjoy it. You don't have to Pretend that it's not here or think, oh no, that's indulgence, or think, oh, it's going to change, so I better not get attached. Let yourself feel it fully. And if it's an unpleasant experience, if there's an itch or a a physical pain or an emotional pain, it's okay. You can open up to it. Because you know that it changes, there's more of a willingness to be with it. Because the paradox is that you tr- the more you try to avoid or push away, the more you're enmeshed in it. There's a, um, there's a book that's just come out by George Lakoff where the title is, is a, uh, a phrase that I've been saying for many years. The, the name of the book is don't think of an elephant. If I say to you right now, don't think of an elephant, 
get it out of your head, what happens? It's the only thing that's there, right? Get it out. No elephants. Because the more you try to push away what is difficult, the more life you give it. In the same way with our difficulties, if we open up and say, ah, this is what's happening, we're not adding on that layer of aversion and fear and contraction that locks it in. So uh, the idea is that it's possible to open up to any experience. And the more we can open up to it, the more we can see clearly and the less contracted and confused we are in working with it. So that's the third aspect of this mindfulness, this bare attention. Seeing things clearly, being here in the present, noticing how everything changes. And then the the last aspect is what really makes it the bare experience, the bare attention, is being with what's here without getting lost in our judgments about how things how things should be. Now, I realize I'm talking to a lot of um, uh, lawyers and perhaps some judges, and judging is a very important thing in your world. So I just want to clarify, by judgment, I'm not talking about discernment. There is wise discernment, there is discriminating wisdom, which is a very, very useful quality to bring to every moment. Judgment, the way we use it in the meditation uh, circles and this process, is the contracted mind that cannot see clearly because there's an, an aversion to the unpleasant or a grasping to the pleasant, and there's a kind of agitation in the emotional reaction that doesn't see clearly. So to be with what's here without getting caught in the judgments is really a key to the process. This might be easier said than done. Uh, And you might also take comfort in knowing, at least in the the model of enlightenment, in the the, uh, Theravadan model um, that's taught here at Spirit Rock, there are four stages to enlightenment. Even at the third stage, there's judging in the mind. So if you find that there's still judgment, you're just no higher than third stage of enlightenment. But here's the trick. You don't have to get rid of the judgments. All you need to do is not judge them. Just see them for what they are. Just see them as judgments. And in that spaciousness, you're not caught in your reaction. So for instance, you're sitting here, like I gave the uh, example earlier. You're sitting here trying to pay attention, and then you realize that you've wandered off. Very common response, oh, darn it, I wandered off. And then you might realize or hear, 
oh, I was judging. And then you realize, oh, shoot, I know, I was just judging that, too. And you can put one layer on top of another, darn it, I judged again. You know? <laughs> and there's judgment on top of judgment. There's no way out of that if every time you notice the judging, there's a judging tone. So here's the key. Simply notice it without judgment. It's something that happens. You know, oh, I shouldn't have been judging. And then you realize, oh, judging. That's what's going on. And in that kind noticing, you're not fueling that energy. It's like the puppy dog. You don't know any better. Oh, okay, come on back. You just got lost in judgment. Yep, no higher than third stage. Okay, come on. And that spaciousness gives you a relief from that very incessant habit that we go through. So simply not judging the judging is the way out. And I spent about two years in my own practice working with the judging mind and just bringing kindness to it. If you can note it and notice it, you know, like I did the mental noting in, out, or lifting, moving, placing. If you can note judging with kindness as if you are Kuan Yin, the Bodhisattva of infinite compassion, doing the noting, ah, judging, judging, judging. I actually had a uh, a practice where I just would very kindly, softly, in the, in the most compassionate tone, name it. For two years, that was my practice, because I'm as good a judge as anybody. Maybe even better than you. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. And so it takes tremendous ongoing patience and kindness, and that is the way to free yourself from that habit that catches. Okay, so those are the four principles, seeing things clearly, being here in the present, noticing how things change, and not getting lost in your judgments. What what would be the benefits of doing this? Maybe your fantasies are more compelling than feeling your breath or noticing an itch. So why do this? Just mention a few of the benefits of learning mindfulness. First thing, as you try to pay attention, one thing becomes very obvious, and that is the mind has a mind of its own. That really the mind is quite out of control. That might sound discouraging, but it's actually great news to realize you don't control your mind. Why? Because if you don't control your mind, you don't have to blame yourself for what comes through. The thoughts are just coming in on their own, unbidden, and you don't have to take blame or credit for them. Ah, just thoughts. Well, that's an interesting thought. 
blowing up the world. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, that's a beautiful thought. You don't have to say, hey, what a great thought. I must be a wonderful person. You know? Look at this one. You know? Or, oh gosh, if they only saw what was going on in my mind, they'd lock me up. You know? All of those thoughts come in and go all by themselves. And it's very freeing to realize you don't have control over them. If you did, you'd only have thoughts of kindness and saving all of humanity and you know, being a saint and things like that. And a few other thoughts creep in there. So that gives you some space. You don't have to take your thoughts so seriously. When you realize this, and when you pay attention, you'll see it in short order, and we'll be meditating uh, in a little while, you just see, wow, look at that. All of these thoughts coming and going. And when you see that, and you don't take your thoughts quite so seriously, then you can choose which thoughts to empower, which thoughts to believe, which thoughts to give energy to. Because your thoughts are as empty as you see them to be. And they're as real as you believe them to be. As soon as you take a thought as reality, you've crystallized it into your reality. But when you can start to notice the emptiness of all the thoughts, then you can see which thoughts serve you and which ones don't. And part of the meditation is not jumping on all the, the, every train of thought that comes through, hopping on the train, and just seeing one thought after another, after another coming through. And then you're practicing in your life to just sense the energy of that thought. And you can start to discern there are some thoughts that come through with a finger wag. You really need to do this or you really should do this with a little bit of, of fear or some, some um, judgment or anger at, at somebody else. Why that rotten? Between those thoughts and then coming from a much deeper place that says, this feels right. Or, this doesn't feel right. Or this, this seems to be what's true right now. You can, we all know that place inside. If we can quiet down and listen enough, listen carefully enough, we can connect with that place of real wisdom inside, which is very different than that fear-based, uh, contracted mind. And so as you give space to all the thoughts, you can start to see through your stories and access that place of wisdom and clarity that's waiting to be heard, remembered. If you have trouble with your thoughts, by the way, if you're bothered by your thoughts, one little uh, instruction that I offered you, as uh, Joseph, my teacher, has, has mentioned, he says, just uh, if you're in a meditation hall, just imagine they're coming from the person next to you, you know, any troublesome thoughts. You know. So you don't have to take blame, you know, you don't have to blame them either, but they're just kind of coming through. Maybe you've picked it up in a, an airwave, or uh, whether or not they come through 
obviously they'll have a story that, that you know is connected to your world, but you don't have to take blame for the energy of them. They're just coming through. They come and go on their own. The more you can then get in touch with that wisdom and clarity, the more you can allow for it to shine through. And we all need it. We all need your wisdom and clarity and compassion. Because what happens as you're not coming from that contracted, confused place is the heart starts to open as well. It's mysterious how that happens, but it seems to be that's our true nature when we're not caught in confusion and fear. Compassion, kindness, friendliness. And the more you see your own predicament in here, the more you can understand the predicament that we're all in, and that's where genuine compassion comes in. The Buddha said, in this fathom-long body, six feet long, the whole of life, the whole of the Dharma is revealed. So this is your laboratory to understand the human experience with its, its foibles and its beauty, with its habits and patterns, with its deep wisdom and awakened heart. And as you understand this one, you start to understand we're not so very different. We all want to be happy. We all want to be safe. We all want to be loved. And we all have a goodness that's, that's hidden in there for some. For some it's very deeply hidden, but it's there. And you can start to discern that place in others as well. And by looking for it, tuning into it, even invite it out. As you pay attention, as you bring your mindfulness to the present moment, you also access that place of real peace that's not confused. And more and more, that becomes a place of stillness and balance that you become familiar with. And it transforms how you relate to the world the more you access this peace. It's your true home. And we long for it, not realizing that it's right here for us. And so you more and more are nourishing, watering the seeds and the roots of that place of connection. And that becomes a place that you can return to anytime. Anytime you get confused, instead of, what do I do now? There's a place that you can come home to and reside and know that peace is really possible. So there's, we could spend the whole retreat talking about the different ways that mindfulness works. The Buddha said, there is one way, a most wondrous way to overcome sorrow, lamentation, grief, despair, and that is the establishment of mindfulness. Because the quality of mindfulness brings with it all the wholesome factors It brings with it wisdom, it brings with it compassion, it brings with it balance and equanimity, it brings with it joy, and it is deconditioning 
all the habits that don't serve us. It's deconditioning, weakening the grasping mind, the fearful mind, the angry mind, the confused mind, the petty mind. It sees through it because the awareness can hold it all. It's much bigger than whatever mind state you get caught in. If there's fear, the awareness, that which is aware of fear, is not afraid. If there's anger or rage, which is part of being human, that which is aware of the anger is not angry. It can hold it all in a much bigger space of understanding and love. It's really powerful. And every moment that you're here in or wherever you are in your meditation or walking outside, every single moment that you're mindful, you are deconditioning those unwholesome tendencies and cultivating the wholesome. And they start to carry over to your daily life. And people around you know it. They feel it. Not only do they feel it, but it reminds them of who they are as well. And so you're not only practicing for yourself, but you affect your whole environment and your world. So I think I'll stop here for now and just see if there's any questions or anything that, that might come up for you about practice. We have a few minutes before we do a walking practice. Um, I, I always get confused when I hear um, the concept that, that you really don't own your thoughts. So if they don't come from your mind, are they like radio waves that are floating through the atmosphere? I, I, I never, I can't get a hold of that concept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When my first few years, I, every teacher that I met, I, I asked them, where do thoughts come from? I, I never got a good answer. But one way you might think of it is uh, the mind's nature is to create. Just like the eye's function is to see and the ear hears, we are, um, the very nature of life is continual transformation and creativity. And the mind is the, um, the mechanism for consciousness, and consciousness takes birth in the human realm as thoughts. So it's this, it's this ongoing expression of consciousness. So we don't, we're not writing the script as that happens. It's just expressing itself through us, even in our dreams. It's amazing how that happens. And sometimes you might think, I, I did this when I, when I first started meditating, I thought if I was really doing it right, I'd just get blank. It'd be like this giant vacuum cleaner would come and suck everything out, and there I'd be blank. That's not how it works. 
that there's, when you get very quiet, if you ever have, have a chance to do a, a longer retreat, and it gets very subtle and very quiet, underneath those moments of quiet, underneath the loud thoughts, there's subtle, subtle, subtle thoughts, layers of mental activity that you'd have no idea are there. Because that's what consciousness does. It just creates. And so we can celebrate that without even figuring out why. It's just, oh. And thoughts are not bad. Thoughts are a wonderful mechanism. A thought created this building and this center. And um, and, uh, peace and thoughts created, all the good things in the world. It's just to use them wisely so you can choose. But that's, that's the way consciousness works. It just expresses itself through us. At least that's the best I could come up with. And I just want to understand, um, do you think that it's also true um, that our thoughts reflect, oh, I don't know, our habits of mind, say? So in that sense, they are mine, or they show something about me or something like that, you know, on a relative level and blah, 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 but, but Yeah, absolutely. Come out of nothing. Mm-hmm. There, are cause and like there are tendencies. Everything comes out of causes and conditions, right? There are tendencies and habits. And that's why mindfulness is such a, a potent habit, because it, it mm-hmm. undercuts those other habits. You know, it's kind of like you, you have the 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 synapses or the or the the ruts kind of created and that's where the mind can easily go without consciousness so it's definitely so that habits create tendencies of mind or then or you you get into a story and you keep on replaying the story over and over it's like you're stuck pressing the the play button and you don't know that you're doing it so it's to see through that story. We're usually lost in our stories, and the mindfulness um, has a way is is purifying and and uh, allows to penetrate that. So it's true. There, everything is is coming from causes and conditions. But what comes through the mind at any particular time <coughs> is completely out of our control. Yeah. Thank you for that. What else? If there's things about your practice in general that you want to bring up, this could be a time time for that too. I have a question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking of if, if I intend something, so I intention, mm-hmm. which seems to me to be a, also a thought of mine, because I'm really, you know, intending to make it 
to create. Yes. And that seems a little different. Okay, intention is a particular thought that comes also out of causes and conditions. There might be something coming to this retreat, there might be a greater intention, for instance, to be present. Or something led you to come to this retreat. So it's out of causes and conditions. But intention is a very special um, class of thought. It is the key to all of karma. The, the Buddha has this line, intending is karma. By intending, we create karma through body, speech, and mind. So in every single moment, you do have a choice what seeds you're planting, both in the, in the moment and in the future, whether they'll lead to happiness or suffering. So it's true, every single moment there is an intention. But intention also is part of conditioning. And in every moment, you might just, this is something since this might be the one shot that I I have with you in in this, uh, in this structure, in the retreat. In every moment, you are, through your intention, planting seeds that reverberate in, uh, in powerful ways. In the moment, suppose you do something unskillful, right? And you say, I'm going to get back at so-and-so, okay? And then you say the words or you do the deed. In the moment, it might feel good for a moment, but shortly after that, it doesn't feel so good. The energy that comes back to you is going to be probably not so uh, pleasant. The likelihood that that action is repeated in the future is greater because you've, you've been practicing it and it's all about practicing habits. And when you think back on what you've done that's not been so skillful, it's painful. So there's four results of acting from that place in the moment. On the other hand, the good news, think of something good that you, really skillful that you've done recently. Some random act of kindness. Okay. Think of something in your mind right now. Got it? Maybe somewhere in your distant past, if you can't <laughs> think of when you're in eighth grade. And, yeah. Just a, a very simple act of kindness. Okay. All right, you got it? In the moment, how did it feel? Probably felt pretty good. Right? The energy that came back to you from the person on the receiving end probably very pleasant and uplifting. The likelihood of you doing that in the future was greater because you practiced that habit. And when you just thought of it now, 
Didn't it feel good? So every single moment we are planting seeds that either cause suffering or happiness. We can choose in each moment, and it's all out of intention. Is it coming from attachment, aversion, or confusion, or is it coming from um, uh, generosity, kindness, and clarity? That's why mindfulness is so potent in conditioning our reality, because it brings those, those last three, which are the source of all happiness, non-greed, non-hatred, non-delusion. Um, maybe this follows up a little bit on the concept of intention, but I've been struggling with my practice sort of getting on the cushion every day. Mm. And really, it's not happening for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of it is because um, I had been having some health problems, and some of the alternative practitioners I was working with were sort of encouraging me to meditate as a solution to my health problems. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so I sort of got into this progressivism. You know, I will get better if I meditate. Right. And I'm having... And I, cu- I couldn't get on the cushion with that meditation, with that intention for meditation. And I'm wondering if you have any advice for me on how to skillfully move out of that mindset and mm. find another intention for getting on the cushion. That okay. Might be better for me. Do you uh, did you meditate before you had the health problems? Some, no. uh, what what made you meditate? Oh what God. what drew um, you to? <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> um, it's been a long time since I started meditating. I mean, I think I had sort of an external and an internal motivation, sort of, I wanted to be a better person in some ways, but I also wanted to feel more peace in my life and have more compassion. And did you sense that meditation would help with that? Yeah, I do feel like meditation has helped with with both those things. You do? Yeah. Well, get back to that, that intention. I mean, it, instead of doing it because this will be good for you, do it as something that you give yourself. Oh, perhaps this will bring me some, uh, some more peace and some more clarity and help me be a better person because it feels good to be a better person. Not because, oh, this'll, then people will like me, or, but just from internal. If you can find a source that motivates you, that's much better than any kind of ulterior motive. Uh, when, I, when I first got into the meditation practice, it, everything made such sense. It was like, because I, I, I was in a lot of pain when I first got into practice, emotional pain. But I, I thought, do I really have to do the meditating part? You know? <laughs> I think I got the idea. You know, just be mindful. And I realized I, I, I needed to do it. And the quality of my life was so much different. It's so much better. So when, when it becomes something that you give yourself rather than doing it as an assignment, then that changes. And if you have trouble giving yourself a gift, think of it as giving everybody else in your life a gift because they will really appreciate the fact that you meditate even if they don't know what's going on. Right? And rather than it being this homework assignment, um, 
because it's very difficult when, when what was a nourishing source, something that was really f- nourishing and fulfilling, becomes just this thing that you feel either guilty about not doing or that you're not doing it good enough. You've lost one of your, you know, something very precious to you. Um, do it in a spirit of uh, an offering and sit for as long as it feels right. At the very beginning, you might... I have an agreement with myself, actually. I will get into the posture each day. Not, I will sit for two hours each day or 45 minutes twice a day or, you know, that if you do that structure and you do it as a support, great. But if it's, oh, I don't have time for 45 minutes, forget it. You know, I just blew up my meditation. Then you've lost something. But if you have an agreement to just get in the meditative posture, ah, once you're there, I've been doing this for like 30 years, and I can't remember meditating and saying, oh, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Why did I do that? The only way is if you beat yourself up because you're not doing good enough. But if the hard part is getting into the posture, just getting over that inertia, that busyness. Once you're there, it's like, oh, this is so, so nice. It's like you remember, instead of that world out there, coming in and connecting with yourself is a way to connect with the world out there after you first connect with yourself. So find the source that's really honest, authentic for you, that motivated you, and just do it in a way um, that's really user-friendly. This talk was given by James Barris at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on November 19, 2004. It is an offering of the dark. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.